Karel, you have traveled far. One journey has ended. A new journey is about to begin. Hey everybody, Magnus here. I do a podcast called Trenis Magnus Punches Reality. What I do is spend six episodes talking about comics, movies, and TV shows. But all that stuff gets put on hold every eighth episode so that I can talk about Smallville. Smallville's the most underrated live-action adaptation of Superman in all of history. Smallville's my favorite version of Superman apart from the comics, and so every eighth episode, I put Smallville under a microscope. Listeners all around the world have been shocked to discover just how awesome Smallville truly is and just how well it holds up to critical scrutiny. I've recently finished what most people regard as Smallville's first run with the conclusion of the mighty third season of the show. But as awesome as Smallville may have been up to this point, the best is still to come. And I want you along for the ride. This is Magnus Talks About Smallville, an eighth episode feature of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Now with fewer cigarette breaks. So check out Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday for all the Smallville small talk you could ever hope to shake a stick at. Magnus Talks About Smallville every eighth Tuesday only at Two True Freaks. Dot com. The word fan actually is an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football year-round, nobody cares. Basketball year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me to make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard.
Hello, 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 and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. Presented, as always, by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I do is I talk about comics, movies, and TV shows. But I, I think that a casual, unbiased observer just might think that the only thing that I talk about is comics. And the reason for that is because if you look at the number of shows that I've released over the years, odds are whatever I'm talking about, it's a comic book. So you might be forgiven for thinking that this is an all comic book, all the time type of podcast. Now, the reason for that is because when I first started Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, I actually talked about a couple of movies at the top of everything. You know, I sort of front-loaded the first few episodes of this show with discussion about movies. And then, it's kind of hard to describe, but I won't say I panicked, but I became a little bit concerned that I was going to be thought of as the movie podcast. And the reality of the situation is that there are, like, real movie podcasts out there, and I don't know. I just, I didn't want to compete with them, you know? So what I did was I just sort of backed off of too much discussion about movies and centered a lot of my attention and energy on comics. And that's sort of been the state of things ever since. So here we are. Now, Maybe it's just because I need a change of pace. Or it could be that the future of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is no longer dependent upon you thinking of it as something other than a movie podcast. But for whatever reason, I've decided that I want to talk about a movie today. And today's movie is called Weirdsville. And for those of you who don't know, it was released in 2007, directed by Alan Moyle, who also directed Pump Up the Volume, incidentally, and starring Scott Speedman, Wes Bentley, and Taryn Manning. And you could justifiably view this as just another stoner movie. And the reality of the situation is, <clears throat> number one, I can't exactly argue with that. And number two, I'm not I'm not real big on stoner movies. And the reason for that is because fucking I'm not a stoner. <clears throat> it's just that's just not something I'm into. Put it that way. But anyway, the plot of the movie goes a little something something like this. Not much happens in the lives of 20-something pals Dexter and Royce except for getting high and hanging out with Royce's girlfriend, Matilda, also called Maddie. This all changes one evening in, northern on, in the northern, northern Ontario town, Weedsville, when Maddie overdoses on a stash of Dexter and Royce's drugs. Drugs, it should be understood, that have been fronted by local drug kingpin and tough guy, Omar, to sell in order to cover their previous drug debt. Thinking her dead and knowing that, the, that calling the cops would only land him in jail, the pair decide to bury her in the boiler room of the closed drive-in theater where Royce used to work. 
The two set off to deal with Maddie's dead body. While the boys begin to dig a grave downstairs, a satanic cult led by another former employee and former classmate of Dexter and Royce, Abel enters the supposed ab abandoned drive-in and begins a ritual involving pentagrams and human bloodletting in the upstairs concession stand. Their plan is to resurrect Jason Taylor, a hippie turned reluctant but rich internet entrepreneur and Abel's unwitting hero, out of his coma. However, when Dexter walks in mid-sacrifice, everything goes awry. Dexter and Royce are captured and gagged and duct taped and Maddie's corpse is discovered, but when some of the sacrificed followers' blood unexpectedly awakens Matilda, an all-out chase ensues. Royce and Dexter get to her first and the trio escape. After safely stowing Maddie in Dexter's apartment, the boys run into Omar and his beefy sidekick Gary, who deliver a few swings of a curling stone and an ultimatum. Debt plus interest paid by last call, or the beefy sidekick Gary is going to severely injure the pair of stoners. Knowing that millionaire Jason Taylor has a safe full of money at his place, Dexter and Royce take off to break in and steal it, a plan previously mentioned by Maddie, who knows the combination to Taylor's safe. With a few unexpected bumps along the way, such as running into, accidentally knocking out, and then getting, in, and, and then getting high, the nephew of Taylor, who was house-sitting, Dexter and Roy successfully manage to steal the safe. En route back to Dexter's apartment to grab Maddie, they run into Abel. A classic car chase causes our boys to seek refuge in a mall where they encounter a midget security guard named Martin. After winning his trust, as Martin has unresolved issues with cults himself, Martin lets them leave without further trouble. Meanwhile, at the New Age Resource Center, Maddie, having been kidnapped by Abel, has been tied to an upside-down cross with an unconscious Jason Taylor. Abel's plan is to offer Lucifer Maddie's life in exchange for Jason's. Dexter and Royce arrive to try and stop the ritual and rescue Maddie. Omar shows up looking to collect his debt and he brought Gary, and his gun with him. In hot pursuit of Abel and his cult, Martin and his physically diminutive friends arrive only to crash into Dexter's car, Dex's car, propelling the, the, the safe from the trunk inside the New Age Center and thereby crushing Abel. With Abel's life ruined and Taylor's life saved, Taylor gives Dexter and Royce the okay to hand the safe off with all of his money to clear their debt to Omar. They then happily flee the scene of the crime with Maddie in tow. The end. So, what did I think? Well, like I say, I laughed out loud at, at a lot of parts of this movie, and one of the things that kind of reminds me of is the fact that I've just got a kind of a fucked up and just wrong sense of humor when it comes to comedy films and whatnot. So, nevertheless, that became quite, quite clear to me as I watched this movie. Now, my origin story with this movie, as I recall, is that I was homesick and... I just, I, at the time, I didn't feel like watching any of my, my DVDs at, uh, at the time to, to pass the time, right? It was, golly, let me think. I, I think it was uh, some, I, I, I want to say it was probably the fall, like October, November of 2008 or something like that. And I was just stuck at home and there really was not a whole lot to do. And so I was texting a friend of mine, you know, letting him know about my predicament. And 
he said that he had a couple of ideas and he'd follow up with me later. Well, his idea of following up with me, quote unquote, was to swing by my house, drop off some medicine, and also let me borrow a bunch of his DVDs. Now, he's the kind of guy who, he's got, suffice it to say, very broad tastes in movies. You know, he's not confined to just one or two uh, genres. The guy will watch literally anything, anything and everything. And so as a result, this guy has seen a lot of fucking movies, right? And Re- uh, Weirdsville was one of the movies that he that, that he uh, dropped off uh, for me to watch. And the reason for that is because he kind of figured that I'd get that I'd get a kick out of it. You know, uh, he knows my taste pretty well. So what I've noticed is that if if he says that I'm going to enjoy a movie, I owe it to myself, if nothing else, to actually watch it. Because I'm not kidding. Every single time this guy's ever recommended that I watch a movie, you know, he says words to the effect of, dude, I really think you're going to like this. I've always liked it. Not usually liked it, or the majority of the time I've liked it. I mean, every fucking time he said, you know, a variation of, hey man, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Damned if I don't really enjoy this, you know? And Weirdsville is a good example of of what I'm talking about. I would almost want to compare it to Savage Steve Holland, only in the aspect that he kind of directed these just senselessly funny movies, you know? And the plot of all of those movies really wasn't important unto itself. It was really just a vehicle to showcase all of the comedy and the gags and the jokes and all that stuff, you know? And I think the very, like the pretty much the, the exact same thing can be said of Weirdsville where the plot, it is what it is. And it's really just there so that we can see what a bunch of retards these these two guys are. And I guess apart from that, the name of the movie is Weirdsville, and the town is nicknamed Weirdsville, and that's really not much of an exaggeration, you know? The protagonists of the movie are a bunch of lo- uh, loser stoner burnouts. The antagonists of the movie are alternately drug dealers or a satanic cult. And just speaking for myself, you know, everybody, it's not that they have a phobia. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to put it, but everybody has something that they kind of respond to on a sort of visceral level. You know, like for, like I know people who they cannot handle snakes, in any capacity. They can't look at pictures of snakes. They can't watch movies about snakes. They can't watch nature documentaries about snakes. They can't look at real snakes. They can't uh, look at or even hold like fake toy snakes. Nothing, right? Not even cartoon snakes. They just fucking can't handle snakes or spiders or, or whatever. I mean, certain people, certain things get people on a certain visceral level, you know? And there's no rhyme or reason to it. That's just the way that things are sometimes, you know? And for me, 
Satanists are kind of one of those things that I respond to on a sort of visceral level. I mean, I've always been kind of creeped out by really the the entire concept of Satanism. You know, and I don't mean like that atheistic Anton LaVey style Satanism. I mean like the real full bore, like Aleister Crowley theistic type of Satanism. I mean, that stuff, you know, like knowingly worshiping the devil has always been... I don't know, like a source of just severe discomfort for me. I mean, I don't, I, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those things that I've always just been like really, really, really put off by. And so the fact that this, that, that the antagonists the, uh, of this movie are these Satanists. And the other thing is that, yeah, they're, they're murderers on the one hand, but... It's just weird. It, on the other hand, it's like they're so buttoned-down and well-mannered. Polite, even, at times, you know? And outwardly, that is. And I don't know. It's just, it's extremely unnerving, you know? Just like the very idea of it has always been a little bit off-putting to me, right? So that's just kind of the baggage that I'm bringing to it, you know, with, with all of that. And then there's Martin, the, the midget security guard. And, again, I don't know what it is, but there's something about midgets that's just inherently funny to me. You don't have to do very much with midgets in order for me to laugh my balls off. I don't know why. You know, and, you know, anyone who's listening to this, if you really are like a midget, you know, I really hope you don't take this as me making fun of you. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't, but I really hope you don't, because that's really not the way that I intended. It's just... For some reason, midgets are just really fucking funny to me. So, the other thing, and this is, I guess, more of a, it's kind of a general note. Royce is played by West Bentley, or sorry, West Bentley. And those of you who don't know, he played Ricky in American Beauty. And I can't speak for very many of the rest of you, but at the time that this, that Weirdsville came out, I hadn't really seen West Bentley in very many other things. Does that make sense? I mean, he—I mean, he'd been around. I mean, it's not like his career absolutely evaporated, but my belief is that it's absolutely possible to—I don't like peak too early. You know, it's—it's it's totally possible that you can. You can have that—that that sort of career-defining role very early on in your career such that it's actually kind of hard to follow up on that. And I, I, and I can't help thinking that Ricky Fitz from American Beauty is one of those roles, you know, where it was extremely hard for Wes Bentley to come back from that because, you know, that was such, an, such a widely acclaimed movie that I don't know. I mean, it's it, it's almost like the success of it sort of starts to feed itself and the hype of it starts to feed itself. And it gets to the point where there's literally nothing you can do to follow up on that, you know? So that seemed to be where Wes Bentley was stuck for a lot of years there. So there's that. And as to the other, 
Dex is played by Scott Speedman, and he's one of those guys that I don't think he's ever been like a major star or anything. You know, he's one of those guys whose big break has always kind of eluded him. You know, he's, I mean, on the one hand, I don't think he's ever going to be like first choice leading man, you know, mega star kind of guy. On the other hand, he's never going to be out of work either, you know? I mean, apart from, like, Felicity and, like I say, the Underworld movies and this, you know, Weirdsville, I haven't really seen him in a whole lot, you know? And it's not like I was a, I was a major, you know, Felicity viewer or anything like that. I mean, I saw, like, I think two episodes, and I think he... I'm pretty sure he was in both of them, so I'm, I'm assuming that he was a regular on that show based on nothing. You understand? I'm just assuming he was a regular on that show. And other than that, you know, just haven't really seen him around in a whole lot. And it just makes me think that on the one hand, you know, the guy's talented and everything, but it just kind of made me wonder, you know, is this guy ever going to hit the big time? And well, I'm guessing the answer is no. So, Hmm. Now, the other thing, the other sort of standout performance in this movie, at least for me, was Maggie Castle as Trina. She's she's one of the Satanists. And she's just got this very... It took me a while to, to, to figure it out, but she looks like somebody I used to be friends with back, way back in the day. I'm no longer on speaking terms with today. But at least back then, you know, she and I were friends. And that's who Maggie Castle, at least in Weirdsville, that's who she kind of reminds me of. She's got a very similar look. You know, this friend I used to have way back when. <clears throat> and maybe that's the reason why she, she, I don't know, her performance kind of stood out to me. And she as an actress sort of stood out to me is because, you know, there's just this weird fucked up sense of deja vu, which is completely in my head. But nevertheless, it's, I don't know, I don't know, it's it's real is what I'm saying. And the other thing is, you know, when it, when it comes to Weirdsville, it's, 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 this movie truly is funny. I mean... A lot of these stoner comedies, um, you kind of have to figure that they really are funny if you're stoned out of your mind. But if you're not, there's less for you to laugh at. And that's really not the case with, with Weirdsville to where, you know, if you're not blasted out of your mind on something or other, then there's just no way you're going to be able to get, in the, uh, get into this movie. I mean, obviously, I was able to... Uh, capable of getting into this movie on a, like I say, on a one hand, a sort of a, a visceral level with a satanic cult, on a comedic level with the midget, on a, I guess, a personal level with Maggie Castle as, what's her name, uh, Trina, and let's face it, I mean, I think most of us knew people like Dex and Royce back in high school, or if you didn't, it's because you were someone like Dex and Royce back in high school. So, you know, it's pretty easy to... Not so much identify with these characters, but more identify those characters with somebody else. And so that part, I think, is actually pretty easy to, to connect to. The other thing is that... Uh, what's his name? The, the hippie guy. Jason Taylor. He's actually played by Matt Frewer. And, again, this is just... I, I, Matt Frewer is one of, those, one of those character actors that 
you know, he seems to pop up in a lot of different movies, and so I think a lot of people have different connections to him as a as an actor. I mean, yeah, there's the whole Max Headroom thing, but these days he's pretty much going to always be Moloch to me from Watchmen. So, I mean, that was some perfect casting right there. And yeah, he did Watchmen after Weirdsville, but nevertheless, for some reason, every time I see Matt Frewer in something now, I always think of Mullen. So there you have it. Anyway, point is, this movie is, it's really hysterical. It's got a lot of, you know, kind of funny one-liners, and I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's kind of hard for me to recommend any comedy movie just because I'm not the laugh-out-loud type most of the time, but I laugh my balls off at a lot of different points of this movie, and I'm pretty sure that you guys will too. So that, I think, is pretty much that, at least for this segment. So be right back after these messages. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who, I don't care for anime, I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like? Comic books. I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called Views from the Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life, I pick a particular series, or issue, or character, or whatever to talk about, and then I... Well, well, I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.viewsfromalongbox.com. From there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics or a desperate cry for help. 
You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. I've got a little bit of listener feedback that I want to work my way through and the primary reason for that really is because it's been a very long time, alright, since I've actually done any kind of listener feedback and guys, to say that I'm behind on listener feedback is a tremendous understatement, right? I take today's first little bit of feedback that I'm going to be working my way through. Guys, this was sent to me, I kid the negative, on January the 16th, 2015. That's 15 one 2015, all right? So needless to say, I'm pretty far behind the eight ball on this, and there's a lot of things that I need to get caught up on. So without further ado, the, the first little uh, bit of feedback, and maybe the only bit of feedback that I'm going to be going through today, this was sent in by my old friend, Fanboyimus Prime. The subject line is Spider-Man 2099, and you literally asked me what I think is wrong with the Michael Bay Transformers movies. Fanboyimus Prime writes, Hey Magnus. So, Spider-Man 2099. An underrated comic from an underrated line. Great comics to read and enjoy. Though, I also hope you give the X-Men 2099 stuff a view on the show as well. I'm going to put the email on pause and say, you know what, I'm a pretty big fan of the 2099 concept, but I'm really not sure how much of the broader 2099 uh, line of comics that I'm going to tackle on this show. Reason being is... There's just so much, so much stuff that I have to work through. I mean, I guess given, in theory, a long enough span of time, I probably would get to it eventually. It's just the way that things are right now, I can't promise that I will. I do foresee coming back to Spider-Man 2099, at least at some point. I just don't know when. But as to the rest of the comics uh, from the uh, 2099 line, uh, Prime, I gotta tell you, I... I cannot make any kind of firm commitment on that. The best I can say is maybe, maybe not. Not trying to be a coy or anything. It's just just trying to be realistic, that's all. So, anyway, <clears throat> to get back into Prime's email, he writes, You literally asked me what I felt was wrong with the Michael Bay movies. Sit back, Magnus, as this will be very in-depth on the subject. The first and foremost problem with the Michael Bay Transformers movies is that the director cannot direct a good action scene with the Transformers. He's never made the fight scenes easy to follow, and that's when he does them. He seems to enjoy cutting away from the action when it starts uh, to the... Let me try to parse this out. He seems to enjoy cutting away from the action when it starts to the human characters. I'm going to put this email on pause and say... 
That is actually very true. And Prime, I gotta tell you, this is one of those things that... Uh, I guess I, I, I sort of assumed was my problem, right? And I guess what I mean is the it's really hard, at least for me, to tell one of the Transformers apart from any of the rest. I mean, uh, I, I, I suppose Optimus Prime is pretty easy to identify on sight, but all the rest of them, you know, it's... It's just difficult for me to, to to follow it. But I always assumed that it was because of me. I'm just not all that conversant with the Transformers when push comes to shove. So the fact that you said this actually kind of makes me feel a little bit better because now it seems like, hey, maybe this isn't my fault. You know what I mean? So anyway, getting back into... Oh, actually, before I get back into, the, uh, into your email, the other thing I, I just wanted to uh, throw in on that is as far as I guess uh, Michael Bay and you know his ability or lack of ability to uh, direct Transformers action scenes um, apart from assuming that was just my problem I guess the one of the gripes that I have heard people express about the the Michael Bay Transformers movies is that they're really barely movies at all they're really just I guess occasions to to string a bunch of action scenes together, but there's really not a coherent narrative. And my counter argument to that was always, and Prime, I say this with all due respect, I never really thought of the Transformers as being one of those properties that <clears throat> requires uh, very careful and very nuanced and layered. Uh, types of writing for the characters and all that stuff. That's just not what Transformers is to me. Transformers is a big action fest, you know? So the fact that people criticize Michael Bay for being an action fest director and <clears throat> turning the Transformers movies into action fest types of movies, it just seemed to me to be very wrongheaded. So anyway... Not saying I disagree with you. I'm just saying that was my point of view. So anyway, to get back into Prime's email, he writes, Which leads to the second problem. His human characters are the most unlikable, annoying, useless piles of organic matter one can find. Which also probably explains why they're interchangeable and replacing them, as seen in the last two Transformers movies, doesn't bother anyone at all. They literally are that pointless and yet get so much screen time. And if you, if you comment that the Transformers are too expensive to be used as the main cast of their own movies, then we can cut the films down to a lean 90 minutes and probably increase the screen time of the Transformers being the stars in their own films to something more even. I'm going to put this on, back on pause and say, this, is, this again is one of those things that I kind of chalked up to a personal failing of my own. By which I mean, I have, I've kind of hated Megan Fox for a really long time now. So the fact that she's unlikable and I would say unwatchable in the Transformers movies, I just took that as sort of a personal weakness of my own. And really, the same thing goes for Shia LaBeouf. I mean, any of you who heard my Shia LaBeouf uh, episode, uh, you know, the He Will Not Divide Us episode I did with 
uh, Chris Honeywell from Two True Freaks, you probably figured that I'm not the world's biggest Shia LaBeouf fan either. You know, so all in all, you know, the human cast members of the Transformers movies, you know, these people almost from beginning to end are made up of people that I just kind of regard as sort of subhuman plankton in many cases. So the fact that they're unlikable in the movie, it almost like it makes no never mind to me because of the fact that they're unlikable to me in real life anyway, you know, so who would know the difference? So again, this isn't me disagreeing with you, Prime. This is me just telling you where I'm coming from. So anyway, that's not to say you're wrong. Hell, if anything, it's probably saying that you're right. I'm just saying that my own personal limitation on this kind of prejudiced me against Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf literally from the get-go, where it sounds like you were a little bit more willing to give them a day in court. So kudos to you for being more fair than I was. Anyway, to get back into Prime's email, he writes, Third is the design aesthetics of the Transformers in the film uh, films. Looks like thrown-together scrap metal. They look like crap and lack unique appearances and colors to be able to determine, uh, determine who is beating up whom. The Decepticons look especially bad. I'm going to put your email back on pause and say, frickin' amen, sir. You preach it. You know, I'm not sure if you remember uh, the Short Circuit movies from the 80s, but I do. And the first time I saw, I forget which, which of the Transformers, but there was one of the Transformers, one of the Autobots in the first Transformers movie. He looked like he came off the same assembly line as as Johnny Five from the Short Circuit movies, you know? I mean, you really wouldn't have to change all that much. And I guess the way I always looked at it is when I was watching the cartoon when I was a kid, <clears throat> the Transformers cartoon, I guess what I always assumed was that we're not supposed to take the appearance of the Transformers, any of them, you know, the, the Decepticons, the Autobots, or any of the rest. We're not supposed to interpret those completely literally, you know? This is a cartoon show, so right there you have certain types of limitations that you're working with. But this is a cartoon show that really started as a toy line, and the cartoon show sort of came out of that, as is my understanding, right? And so... The Autobots ha and the Decepticons and all of them, really, they they had to have a certain look to them just so they can be consistent with the toy lines. And the toy lines, they had to basically transform into robots and into vehicles. And so right there, you kind of have certain limitations that you're working with, you know? Having said all of that, when I was a kid, I always kind of assumed that we're not meant to take their appearance and their and their robot forms, we're not supposed to take that completely literally. You know, basically that's a that's an instance of form following function, you know? The function is that these characters are supposed to transform into cars and jets and trains and all that stuff, but they're not necessarily that's their I guess their reason for being, you know, and how they look in their their robot form, their humanoid form is going to be a compromise. You know, it necessarily has to be a compromise. And so what I sort of assumed is that in their natural state, the Transformers are supposed to look like they're made of metal, yes, but maybe they're made of metal 
in, I, I guess, the design tradition of looking like they've been chiseled out of metal, almost like um, certain types of statues. Like you kind of see it with that that kind of um, totalitarian type of uh, statue design. It was really common, especially in the 40s and 50s in Soviet Russia, where you would have these um, sort of geometric types of um, uh, human forms and they're all made out of steel. And what I assumed is that the Transformers are basically supposed to look kind of, sort of like that, you know? And maybe they're not necessarily based on human anatomy. It could be a little bit more generic than that. But we're basically supposed to see them as sort of, maybe not so much sculpted steel like a car, but almost more like chiseled steel, you know? Or like chiseled granite or chiseled marble, you know? And there's a robotic aesthetic that that they're working with on uh the transformers and you know these these humanoid forms they're going to look basically human in nature you know but uh, that's that's just i guess the shtick of uh, of the show realistically you know they're not necessarily meant to look like like you were saying, like uh, sort of uh, thrown together junk. What I always sort of thought was that it's actually supposed to be a little bit more fluid and 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 uh, shapely than what we see in the movies, you know. And they're supposed to look like basic, like I say, sort of polished, chiseled steel, if that makes any sense. Or like I say, po- uh, polished and chiseled granite, or polished and chiseled marble, or just whatever. And they have the unique ability to transform into vehicles, right? And so, anyway, look, I could be wrong, but that's just the way that I always interpreted it. You know, we're not supposed to take the design issues of the cartoon at face value, you know? It's just supposed to look convincing enough that you could believe that this machine, this robot, can transform into a car. And and it needs to look capable of doing that. And so... That's really the reason for the for the Transformers appearance in the cartoon show. You know, that's just my personal prejudice, again, coming into play here. So take from this prime whatever you think it's worth, which I'm guessing is not very much. Anyway, let me get, just get a uh, sip off of my water here. All right. To get back into uh, Prime's email, he writes... Fourth is how literally Michael Bay does not understand who Optimus Prime and the auto... uh, Oh, sorry. I I misread this. Let me just uh, start all over. Fourth is how... Not who. Fourth is how literally Michael Bay does not understand who Optimus Prime and the Autobots stand for. I think you may have meant to write what they stand for, but whatever. And the Autobot... uh, The Autobots who it is in character for them to be violent, cutthroat, and not exactly nice guys get shoved to the side, or in the case of the Dinobots, get only uh, 10 minutes of screen time in a movie. And I wasn't exactly sp- uh, expecting much uh, much more out of them than getting the, their archetype straight, which he's fucked even that much up. I'm going to put this back on pause and say, you know, the, the Dinobots thing... That actually did kind of bother me because I was a huge Dinobots fan when I was a kid. I mean, in general, I could have taken or left Transformers. I mean, I enjoyed watching it, but I wasn't really obsessed with it, you know? 
the way a lot of uh, kids my age were, I was more of like a Thundercats guy or a Superman kind of guy or something like that. You know, but I really did like the Dinobots. I mean, everybody loves Grimlock, you know? And one of the things about the movies that kind of bugged, apparently not just me, is the fact that the Dinobots, it's almost like they were thrown in so that somebody could say, okay, fine, you assholes, here. Here are the Dinobots. Now shut the fuck up about it. We don't want to hear about this anymore, you know? So anyway, all of this is to say, amen, sir. I agree with you on that. To get back into Prime's email, he writes, And I've not supported these films beyond the first Michael Bay, uh, the first Michael Bay created one. And even then, I was fast-forwarding through the love scenes as I didn't care about that. And unless it involves Transformers having a relationship together, won't I won't give a damn if, uh, it, was e- if it was even a well-done human romance story. Which it wasn't, to be honest. I'm going to put this email back on pause and say, you know what, Prime, a lot of this stuff... Uh, at least as far as the love story is concerned, you could make the same type of gripe about a lot of action movies. And guys, look, the reality of the situation is with these huge tentpole mega budget movies, movie studios really do have to play it safe. You know, there's a formula whenever you make movies like this. And if if you're like Michael Bay, and this is your vocation, this is what you do, this is the kind of movies you make, you got to be aware of the fact that, you know, there are certain, there are certain, um, I don't know, there are certain elements that are going to be in every single one of your movies. You're going to have to have uh, a certain number of action beats, and they're going to have to come up a certain number of times, you know, like a certain certain number of action beats per minute, or uh, per half hour, or something like that. You're going to have to have um, a love story of some kind, and you're going to have to have a female character because we got to get the fucking girls in on this stuff. And she can't be... It's part of any movie's marketing that such and such girl character is not just a damsel in distress. She's a real strong and independent fucking blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's basically the feminist uh, fantasy brought to life that we're supposed to believe a woman can somehow fight a man, even though, I'm sorry, simple fucking physics. You know, my fist is the same size as your head, Bitch, I'm going to lay you out in a fair fight, you know, but it's movies. So you kind of have to convince yourself that of that some woman who weighs a buck five is somehow able to uh, hang toe to toe with, uh, I don't know, like like this big beefy dude who probably weighs like 215 pounds. Somehow she's going to, you know, be able to hang with him. But it's a fucking movie and you got to get these, you know, retarded girls and feminists and stuff in on the fun. And, of course, you got to have a love story and all of this fucking retarded stuff. It's There's a formula to this, and in a lot of ways, especially on these big-budget action movies, Michael Bay really does have to color inside the lines. Now, we can debate amongst ourselves, I think, how well done the love story is in these movies. And for my own part, kind of like you, I kind of have to ask myself, you know, what did Shia LaBeouf's character, like Sam, I think is his name, what did he ever see in Megan Fox, really at all? I mean, I've never thought Megan Fox was good looking, but to whatever degree everybody else seems to think that Megan Fox is good looking. I mean, she. I, what I remember of the first Transformers movie, I mean, I remember her being like a major league turbo bitch through most of the movie, you know? What would he have ever seen in somebody like her, you know? I mean, not to be too graphic or anything, but dude... Why don't you just find a, a a less attractive chick and just turn out the lights? 
You know, it's all going to be the same in the dark, isn't it? So, and at least then you won't have to put up with Megan Fox being Megan Fox. So, I don't know. Anyway, all of this is to say I agree with you. You know, uh, I'm not really, again, into these characters. I certainly don't care about their love story. But again, I kind of chalk that up to me not liking Shia LaBeouf. Me not liking Megan Fox. You know, the idea that maybe, you know what, maybe you're on the right track here. And this stuff is just objectively badly done. Well, may I, that is something, Prime, I got to tell you, I sincerely had never considered. So thank you for, for bringing that up as a possibility. Now, excuse me while I get a drag off of my e-cig here. All right. To get back into a Prime's email, he writes, There's also the fact that the narrative of each film is literally on many beats redoing the first movie over, um, the first one over, and no sense of the films building into a coherent narrative. Just more shit thrown at uh, the wall repeatedly. The Transformers deserve a much stronger narrative than that. And several of the shows like Beast Wars, starting with season two, Transformers Animated, and Transformers Prime have strong ongoing narratives that pay off. And there is the current more than meets the eye in Robots in Disguise slash Transformers, as the next Transformers is called Robots in Disguise, so they changed the name, series that have a narrative set up that makes the Michael Bay Transformers movies look like some kid playing with crayons. Concepts and character exploration that likely would cause the director's uh, brain to explode are done in, in, in the meaning those series. I will be fair, and what I wanted from Michael Bay's first Transformers film was a fun action adventure with giant robots kicking the shit out of each other. Not a buffoon trying to get the girl in action scenes that are hard to follow who's doing what. I... I'm not going in expecting Citizen Kane. I am going in expecting it to be like the... Uh, to be like Transformers the movie. And Michael Bay has failed to deliver every time. Not sure why it is making... Uh, sorry, I just lost my, my place in the email here. Not sure why it's making a shitload of money and why those pieces of tri-cursed slag are popular. He's not delivering giant robots battling it out. He's delivering long stretches of insane and whiny humans who suck and doing his best to be as lazy as he can be with the giant robot fight scenes by either cutting away from the fights or be unable to make them something that can be followed. I'm going to put this email uh, back on pause and say, you know, Prime, there, I, I, I mo- look, as I've said, I mostly agree with everything that you said here, but as I was reading this, something that honestly, it did come to mind in terms of the robot fight, uh, fight scenes. Um, you know, with the tra- these Transformers fight scenes, they really are hard to follow in a lot of cases, but one exception to that I want to say it was in the second Transformers movie, which I think I only saw... I think I've only seen all of the Transformers movies one time, to tell you the truth. But there was this moment where Optimus Prime dukes it out with a shitload of Decepticons. And, I mean, he is killing these people just left, right, and center. I mean, he probably fights like, I don't know, like 8, 10, or 12 of them. I mean, just a shitload of them, right? And he's he's talking trash. He's getting more and more furious as the fight progresses and it gets more intense. 
and he even screams, I'll take you all on. And he's just kicking everything that even looks like an ass in, in that scene. And that was actually pretty easy to follow. I mean, you get the idea that maybe I don't know all of these Decepticons names that he's just tearing to pieces. But I recognize that they are Decepticons, and he's the good guy. He's Optimus Prime, and he's beating the tar out of everybody. And I remember, and I could be wrong since it's been like forever since I've seen that movie, but I remember that being relatively easy to follow. You know, now, this isn't a, a defense, just to be prime, just to be clear between you and me. This is not a defense or a justification of any of the other fight scenes, which I admit are kind of laborious and hard to follow, but I will say that one scene, the way I remember it playing out, which, like I say, it's been forever since I've seen it, so take from this whatever you think it's worth, but I remember that particular fight scene being the one exception where the the action, I remember it mostly making sense. But, I mean, then again, that kind of leads you right back to square zero anyway, because I remember sitting in the theater watching... Uh, the first Transformers movie. And I'd gone there with um, an ex-girlfriend, and she was an ex-girlfriend at the time. We kind of sort of half-assed stayed friends after we we broke up because it really wasn't that bad of a breakup, you know, to tell you the truth. And I kind of regarded that relationship, not that this has anything to do with anything really, but I kind of regarded that relationship as being kind of a transitional thing. And I think she did too. So it was one of those things that where... The relationship, it worked for a little while, and then it just stopped working, so we just stopped the relationship. But we were still basically friendly with one another, you know? There was no real bad blood going on there. Anyway, so we weren't dating at that time. We'd already broken up, but we went to see the first Transformers movie anyway, because fuck it, we both wanted to see the movie, right? And one of, like, a major shtick of the first Transformers movie is that Bumblebee can't talk. There's something that's fucked up with him for some reason, and so he can't really talk. You know, and I remember sitting there in the theater think, and thinking to myself, oh yeah, he's going to be able to talk by the end of the movie. Who wants to take bets on that? You know, because anytime something like that gets set up that early in the movie that, you know, character has this problem and this needs to be fixed, 10 to 1, this is going to be the story of how that character gets that problem fixed. You know, like a movie starts and some guy, he just has problems committing to a, a, a relationship. And that's how the movie starts. So something tells me he's going to be in a romantic relationship by the end of the movie, you know? Or, uh, let, let me think, what's another one? Um, well, you've seen it a thousand times, right? Any story, Mark Wade is famous for saying this, any story that starts off by saying, nobody has ever braved the cavern of doom and lived to tell the tale. That usually is the story of the guy who braves the cavern of doom and lives to tell the tale, you know? And same kind of a thing with Bumblebee getting his voice back, you know? Who among us watching that movie didn't call that one in the first five minutes, you know? So anyway whatever you think that's worth. So my point is to say, yeah, I actually agree with you on a lot of this stuff. So um, to get back into it, Prime writes, but what I'm saying is that Michael Bay's, actually, I'm going to, I, I came in at the wrong part. Sorry, my bad. As for my obsession with Transformers, the movie, well, it is Transformers a whole for me so that I can't be a surprise. I, Prime, I'm 
I'm no offense. I really don't know what you're trying to say here. Um, as for my obsession with Transformers the movie, well, it is Transformers a whole for me, so that can't be a surprise. So um, maybe I'm just not parsing this right. I don't know. I am who I am and call myself fanboy Miss Prime for a reason. And dude, I totally get that. Go for it. But what I am saying is that Michael Bay's Transformers movies are not a fun adventure with giant robots having center stage. And if you say that can't be done in live action, then ergo one should not do that then. If the Transformers are too costly to be, uh, to be the real stars of their own movies, then you shouldn't make them then. True story on Citizen Kane. I've seen it. And when I did, I really wish it was as a double feature with Transformers the movie. Given Orson Welles is in both films, that makes at least some kind of twisted sense. And actually, you know what? That's a good point, actually. And the Michael Bay uh, movies being a step up from 1986 to 2007 of TFDM? Fuck no. Beast Wars was fucking amazing. Then again, I recall you never watched the Beast Wars cartoon. I want to put the email on pause and say, dude, guilty as charged. Never saw it. I've heard of it, but obviously I have no real opinion about it. I just know that there is such a thing as Beast Wars. Only this and nothing more. So whatever you think that's worth. Getting back into the email, Prime writes, Trust me, Magnus, as that last comment was the only thing that actually annoyed me, as Beast Wars was a great show, and it is a great disservice to it to think the dogs humping level comedy and poorly choreographed fights of the Bay films are better than Beast Wars, especially season, uh, season two and three of Beast Wars. Yes, Beast Wars had an episode in season one that ended on a fart joke, but at, that at least was funny. Bay had dogs humping twice in Revenge of the Fallen, and it was not funny. I want to put this email on pause and say, dude, I really hope you didn't take that as an insult or anything, because that really was not what I intended. But anyway, apologies if you interpreted that as an insult. I'm, I'm sorry about that. That wasn't, that isn't what I intended. To get back into Prime's email, he writes, Yes, humor is in the eye of, be uh, of the beholder, like beauty is, but Bay seems to think he's making a shitty comedy movie more than a film about giant robots fighting a civil war. I hope you consider what I wrote to be articulate and well-reasoned. It has never been a problem for me that it is an enterprise to sell toys. Actually, I consider that to be uh, failing as Transformers play second fiddle uh, to caricatures and not characters. Hell, I can't even make out who most of the characters are in these movies as they all look like scrap metal. Wreck and Rule. Signed, Fanboy Miss Prime. Prime, dude, I gotta agree with you. You know, um, the... You know, the way I look at it is there were a lot of cartoons uh, that came out of the 80s that were based on toys. And, you know, the reality is those shows, and I, especially Transformers, those shows had a lot of imagination to them, you know? I mean, it's strange to think that somebody looked at the Autobots and Decepticons toys and from that they crafted, I think, a pretty dense and layered and textured sort of myth and uh, universe building, you know, from all of it, you know, goings on with the Autobots, goings on with uh, the Decepticons, um, you know, they're duking it out over uh, possession of Cybertron. And then you get deeper into the myth and you find out more stuff about, you know, Unicron and the Quintessons. And you find out about, you know, who actually created all of these races of, uh, of uh, robotic life forms and all of that. And 
it gets more and more in-depth, more and more sophisticated as the show evolves and continues, progresses and develops. And, you know, people, you know, they can look down their nose at the fact that Transformers started off as basically a tie-in to sell toys instead of toys being created as a tie-in for a TV show. But at the end of the day, cartoons as cartoons and Transformers had, I think, a pretty solid and sophisticated concept going forward, you know? Again, I'm not the world's foremost fan of it, but I have fond memories of watching it as a kid. And, you know, that TV show, that cartoon show, had a lot of fans um, when I was a kid, and God knows it has a lot now. And their fandom isn't based on nothing. You know, and I saw uh, Transformers the movie for the first time when it came out on video. I don't think very many people saw it in movie theaters, to be honest with you. But I did see it when it came out on video. And, dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I fucking cried when I was a kid. I fucking cried when Optimus Prime died. Because as far as I was concerned, I mean, that was it. That's the death of Optimus Prime, and he's not coming back. This is it, guys. Lights out. And I did kind of, on the one hand, I was kind of happy to see that Optimus Prime came back to life. But on the other hand, I mean, that did kind of rob the movie of a little bit of its dramatic impact for me, you know? And I'm not sure if you agree with me on this, Prime. And if you disagree, again, don't take this as an insult or anything. But, you know, I kind of thought, you know, Prime, you know, he went out on a high point. He was protecting Autobot City, he single-handedly turned the tide of battle from what was supposed to be a massacre of the Autobots and possibly the conquest of Earth. And he single-handedly turned that around and he probably would have won full stop and survived if not for Hot Rod getting in the way. So, you know, there's a lot to be said sometimes for, you know, the younger generation maybe stepping aside and letting the proven, uh, you know, battle-hardened uh, heroes of the last generation prove to you why it is that they deserve to lead the charge and fight the battle, you know? And, you know, Optimus Prime paid for Hot Rod's mistake with his life, you know? So, anyway, I mean, it was... You know, I took a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of lessons from that when I was a kid, and it was... Again, it wasn't like it was totally undermined or destroyed for me or anything, but it did kind of diminish things, you know, in uh, Transformers the movie for me that Optimus Prime came back like that, you know? So anyway, whatever you want to make of that. So, And I mean in the cartoon show, not in the live-action movies, just to be clear. But uh, anyway, so... Anyway, like I said, whatever you want to make of that is... Uh, well, I guess that is what you're going to make of that. And uh, as it happens, you know, this feedback section has gone on for quite a while here. So I think I'm going to go ahead and put a pin in feedback in this episode. So the guys keep the feedback coming. I've obviously got a lot of catching up to do. But at the same time, you know, um, I'm, I know that I'm behind, but I do intend to get caught up. And, you know, guys, give it time. Sooner or later, your your feedback will be read on this show, you know? I promise. So, like I said, keep the feedback coming and eventually I'm gonna get, uh, I'm gonna get to it. So, anyway, now, um, I think that's pretty much it for, for me this week. Now, as to next week, what I'm gonna be talking about is in Star Trek The Next Generation. I don't wanna give too much away here, 
but I've got some uh, some next-gen talk that I want to work my way through, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, but I think that's pretty much it for me this week, though. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. If you like strange pop culture, if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is, if you like just that kind of stuff, old radio, um, obscure, unmarketable pop culture, uh, strange chiptune music, um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the Quake Reversal Satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something. think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. You can friend me on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S 
M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promos section. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demanzacor of Milan, Italy.